0: This is uh, week two of our of our series uh, five part series in, in the month of October on the five solas of the of the Reformation. And last week we talked about uh, the the first sola, sola scriptura, that that God's word alone is the is the authority for the Christian. Uh, and uh, I wanted to kind of preface today as we're going to look at. Uh, Sola Gratia, or grace alone, but, but I wanted to kind of frame what uh, what this month is about. And, and looking at uh, the, these five solas of the Reformation, um, our our goal and and what my intention is, I'm not intending to attack Roman Catholics uh, as individuals. I want to make that make that clear. What what we are talking about here is theology, uh, about ideas about God uh, and about Teaching of a uh, of, of a church and kind of saying is this what the scriptures say, uh, or is it not what the scriptures say? Uh, and so there, there's a difference between attacking people and attacking ideas. Uh, and what we're doing here is uh, attacking theology and, and saying let's let's take what is being taught by these individuals and and bring it uh, and measure it uh, according to the word of God and allow the word of God to stand in judgment of. This teaching, and because uh, the Word of God stands in judgment of every teaching, uh, of my teaching, of of every church uh, in the Treasure Valley, every church in the world, the Word of God stands in authority over it. Uh, And so, I just want to want to make that clear. And so, this should in no way make you hostile towards Roman Catholics. Uh, This should uh, create a desire within us to to share the gospel, to share truth with them. So, if you find yourself leaving here, uh, with some some animosity, I, w- I would pray that you would uh, maybe listen to it again, or come. Maybe I need to uh, address the way that I'm speaking, but that's not my not my heart is to my heart is not to create animosity within you towards a group of people, but to uh, to understand truth and to understand theology because theology matters. Um, last week we talked about uh, Martin Luther and uh, we said that, that he was the one who kind of kick-started the Reformation uh, by by nailing his 95 theses to the door uh, of the church in, in Wittenberg. And he wanted to start an academic discussion. He wanted to start a debate. But also uh, Martin Luther's concern was pastoral. He saw the way that theology was impacting uh, the people of, of Germany. They thought they could go and purchase Uh, the forgiveness of God with their money by, by going and buying indulgences. And it broke his heart to see these people who are already in poverty going and trying to spend money to purchase forgiveness that they, that they didn't need to to purchase. It's freely, freely given for all who believe as we just sang about. Uh, And so, um, Martin Luther was the one who kick started the Reformation, but, but there were others who were reformers before Martin Luther. Uh, they were, were pre reformers, men such as Peter Waldo or Jan Hus or uh, Girolamo Savonarola. I think part of being a reformer, you have to have a cool name. Um, uh, and John Wycliffe. All, all of these men spoke out against. The theology of the Roman Catholic Church in the century before Martin Luther, but they're not as well known because, uh, again, once the printing press was in existence, all of Martin Luther's teachings could be spread like wildfire through, through Germany. But uh, ultimately, there, was, uh, th- there were pre-Reformers even before Martin Luther, and what Martin Luther discovered was the teaching of somebody who lived a thousand years before him, uh, in actuality, and he began to echo the teaching of a man named Augustine. Yeah, Augustine was born in 354 in North Africa. This is during uh, the Roman Empire, uh, and he uh, was born to to a Christian mother and uh, an unbelieving father. Uh, and he grew up and lived a life of of rampant sin, wholeheartedly running away from God uh, and following after the desires of his own heart. Uh, and many of us here uh, can, can identify with that testimony. But uh, as as the and an adult uh, Augustine uh, sat under the preaching of a guy named Ambrose, and then uh, he came across uh, these verses in the bible romans thirteen thirteen and fourteen which said "Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires and so so augustine Read those verses, and it deeply impacted his heart because he says, "This is this is everything that I've been doing, and now I see that I need to turn to Christ in faith, to turn from his sin, and to trust in Christ." He he understood that, uh, and he, he began to see himself not only as somebody who uh, committed sins, but truly as a sinner. Uh, and and when he began to also see that in Scripture, uh, that all men are are sinful by their, their nature. Not only do they uh, do they sin, but they en- we enjoy sinning. Uh, we talked about this uh, in, in the youth group on uh, Wednesday night. That, that just uh, you look at our sin nature. Nobody had to, to teach uh, our children to lie, right? We, we 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 work so hard to do the opposite. We teach them to tell the truth. Uh, that's what we intend to do. Uh, but they know how to sin. Nobody has to to sit down and teach a child how to lie. They intrinsically know how to do that. And uh, they intrinsically know that when they lie, that it was wrong. Uh, and, and their heart bears witness in within them that, oh, I've, I've done something wrong, and they immediately feel even more guilty. That's, that's what Augustine began to see and realize, that in Scripture, all men are sinners with a sin nature and are thus separated from God, uh, and that if... If uh, man is completely unable to save himself, that's what he began to see in Scripture, uh, man cannot save himself, then salvation is dependent completely upon the grace of God. Augustine wrote this, he says, The grace of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, must be understood as that by which alone men are delivered from evil, and without which they do absolutely no good thing, whether in thought or will, and affection or in deed. So he's saying, hey, nobody does anything good apart from God's grace, which was uh, new for the time. But we see that in Scripture, as we'll take a look at today. Uh, and the, the grace of God, as we... You guys noticed that the, the grace of God was prominent in our singing this morning? Uh, and I want to sing about the grace of God, because the grace of God truly is amazing. The grace of God is... It is us getting something that we have not earned, what we have not deserved? The grace of God is unmerited favor from Him to us uh, in saving us. We have we have done nothing to contribute to our salvation, but He has chosen to save us and extend His grace toward us. That was that was what Augustine said in the the fourth century, uh, and uh, but but right along during uh, Augustine's time, there was also uh, another. Uh, I guess Catholic monk named Pelagius uh, who lived in in Britain. So have, you have Augustine in North Africa uh, and uh, Pelagius in Britain, and these two men never met. And they're two extremes of the the Roman Empire. Uh, Can you think of any more different climates between Northern or Britain and uh, and North Africa? So these men come from very different backgrounds. They never met, but uh, their teaching began to to collide and contradict. uh, And the the conflict was brewing because uh, Pelagius did not believe that man had a sin nature. He, He believed that man was inherently good and that man could just save himself, that he could do these good deeds and work to bring about his own salvation. Uh, And the teachings of Pelagius, thus, were in direct contradiction with Augustine. So you have one one person in the church, Augustine, saying, man can't do anything to save himself. And then you have somebody else, Pelagius, saying, man can. He's good. He is able to, by his own works, by his own deeds, earn his way to heaven. So what does that sound like? Sounds like some some conflict brewing, and so uh, in the old days, uh, when there was conflict within the church, they would do these really big church councils, Uh, and so the the church convened uh, in Carthage in AD 418 to speak about uh, this conflicting teaching, Uh, and ultimately Pelagius' teaching uh, was condemned. It was uh, said to be heretical. No, we cannot save ourselves by good works, and it was condemned again uh, in AD 431, Uh, and uh, at, the car, at the Council of Ephesus, uh, and Pelagius was, was condemned as a heretic. And, and so you're like, okay, that, that's great, Thomas. Well, wh- what does that have to do with anything? Well, even though Pelagius is teaching that you could earn your salvation, even though that was condemned, it creeped back in. Uh, And what what happened was there was a, I guess you could call a a semi-Pelagian view of salvation crept into the church. So here you have this, even though it was condemned on paper, uh, people began to do that. Uh, People began to to teach that. You can, that that God's grace was a part, but then you have to then earn the rest of your salvation. Uh, And that is what uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church began to, began to teach for the next uh, almost a 1,000 years, from the time of Augustine all the way up to Martin Luther in the 1500s. Uh, and so uh, as, what, what I want to lay out is th- th- this Roman Catholic view of salvation. Right? And what we would call it would be meritorious justification. So uh, what, does, what does meritorious sound like? Merit—it's something that you, something that you would earn. And justification. Well, I want to define justification because uh, a key reality in looking at any other um, or teaching or religious system is is trying to define terms and saying, okay, what does this word mean? What do you mean by that? Uh, Have you ever watched uh, The Princess Bride? I do not think that means what you think it means. Uh, So we want to make sure uh, to know and understand if we're using the same word, are we using it differently or are we using it the same? Uh, And so when Roman Catholics speak of justification, they are referring to the process by which God makes an individual righteous. So they they view justification as the process by which God makes an individual righteous. This process begins at baptism and is conditional based upon the individual's works. So when when an individual is baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the grace of God is said to to come upon them and they are now in a state of grace. Uh, And uh, their their salvation, their justification is a a process. Uh, And it's literally God changing them and transforming them and making them more and more righteous to the point where they will deserve eternal life. Uh, And... So the the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which you can uh, look up online, uh, it's there for for all to read and see. Uh, It says this, that the grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift that God makes to us of his own life, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. It is the sanctifying or deifying grace received in baptism. So uh, we receive this grace by being baptized in the Roman Catholic uh, teaching. Uh, and this, uh, the justification that then begins is conditional. So they, they are placed into a state of grace, but they may not stay in that state of grace. And so, uh, in short, the Roman Catholic teaching on, on salvation is that it's, it's grace, it's faith, and it's works all merged together, uh, and grace is the kickstarter. Uh, it's what starts the whole process, uh, and it happens at baptism. And then faith is what uh, what continues the process, uh, that, that people continue or, or maintain that status of being in the state of grace by believing, uh, and then the third component would be works, that now they have to work to maintain uh, their standing with God. They have to to work to, to I guess, be deserving of the grace that has been uh extended to them. Uh, And so again, the the Catholic uh, catechism says that uh, while no one can merit the initial grace, which is the origin of conversion, uh, so that we don't deserve the initial grace from baptism, but uh, that's what kick-starts everything. Uh, It says, since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification that's at the beginning of conversion. But moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others, the grace is needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. So it says on the one hand, uh, we don't deserve the grace of God that we receive at baptism, and w- which we say, hey, amen. We don't think it, be, it comes through baptism, but we believe it comes through faith. But then what it says, did you, did you catch that part of, we can then merit, we can then work, we can then begin to deserve uh, the grace uh, or the grace is needed for ourselves, for us to grow, and for others. Uh, that now uh, we can help others get to heaven, we can help ourselves get to heaven, and to maintain our eternal security uh, by doing these good works. Uh, and so th- this, this process of salvation, it's, it begins with grace, but, uh, but in the, the Roman Catholic system, you don't know if, if you start uh, that, that you'll finish. Uh, you don't know uh, because grace it begins with grace, but it, it it is completed by my own works, by my own efforts. Uh, have you ever heard of that website Kickstarter? Uh, people with with ideas for uh, for an invention or or something that hey you know I don't have the money to to fund this and I need some capital. Uh, well, uh, and there's a, there's a bunch of things on there that you can go and support. You're like oh I like this deal let me contribute to it, but but not every everything that's on Kickstarter will eventually get to, uh, to I guess, to be a finished product that's sold in stores. Uh, and that's how, that's how the Roman Catholics would, would teach salvation, uh, that grace kickstarts everything. Uh, it gets things going, but not everybody who's kickstarted makes it there. Not everybody makes it to completion, and they begin to differentiate between justification and final salvation. Final salvation is based upon our efforts based upon our works rather than upon the grace of God. And, and so our faith continues this, this process and our works uh, continue this process. But uh, we're also called to place our faith not only just in, in Christ, but in the whole teaching of the church. Listen to this again, quotes from uh, the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, we believe all that which is contained in the word of God, written or handed down, which again, that's a good thing, Uh, But then, here's where we would would take issue, and which the church proposes for belief as divinely revealed. So that that is what Roman Catholics call people to believe in. It's it's in in Jesus and everything that the church teaches in its totality. Uh, And uh, Cyprian, uh, an older uh, Roman Catholic, said, no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. Uh, and just this reality of the the wedding of the of your faith in Christ and your faith in the church uh, is a part of this this system. Uh, and so, as we talk about uh, work, so in the Roman Catholic system, you grace starts things, but grace doesn't finish it. We finish it. Uh, and this reality. So, what is it that that Roman Catholics are encouraged to do in order to to earn their salvation? Well. Uh, there are these, uh, what they would call, means of grace. Uh, the means of grace, of this is how uh, you would, I guess, grow in righteousness, the, the means of grace is uh, things that you can do for the grace of God to be bestowed on you. And in the Roman Catholic system, there are, there are seven uh, sacraments, or what they would call means of grace. Uh, number one, it would be uh, baptism. Uh, secondly, it would be confirmation. Third, penance. Uh, fourth, the Holy Eucharist. Fifth, marriage. Six, anointing the sick. Uh, and seven, it would be holy order. So joining a, a monk or, or a, 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 becoming a nun. The word is... A convent. Here we go. It's like, where do the nuns live? Uh, uh, not in a monastery, in, in a convent. But but in these seven sacraments, uh, baptism is said to be what, what begins the process of salvation, that the grace of God comes upon you at baptism. Uh, confirmation is closely linked to baptism, but it's, uh, in essence, a, it says, bestows the Holy Spirit, leading to an increased spiritual power. Uh, penance, uh removes the penalty for sin, uh, and that's where, as we saw last week, the indulgences that were being sold uh, that in Martin Luther's day helped, you, helped people to bypass penance. So instead of uh, being uh, penitent, instead of repenting of your sin, you could just pay money and be forgiven. Uh, and so that was the issue. And then holy the Holy Eucharist, uh, which uh, is kind of what we would call communion, uh, is the the partaking of the blood and uh, the wine and in remembrance of Jesus, but the Catholics believe that in taking the, the blood and the wine, they are re sacrificing Christ. That literally every time uh, uh, the The priest is getting ready to administer and says, this is the the body and this is the blood, that the elements literally turn into uh, the literal physical body of Jesus and the literal blood of Jesus. And that's what the Catholics partake of uh, every time they go to Mass. Uh, And uh, that is what... uh, the Eucharist is, and then marriage, uh, and there's a special grace for those who get married in the Catholic Church, uh, and then the anointing of the sick uh, if there's somebody on their deathbed, they can uh, come and be anointed by the priest and uh, they can receive additional grace uh, and then the holy orders you can you can join one of those holy orders in order to get additional grace uh, and so how how and within this system, how do these how do these means of grace bring grace uh, to these, these individuals? Well, in, in the Roman Catholic uh, system, what they believe is that these actions in and of themselves bring grace, meaning it's not at all dependent upon the person believing. So technically, an, an unbeliever could come and receive Mass, and the grace of God would be bestowed upon him uh, no matter what he desires or wants, just because these uh, sacraments intrinsically, they're like grace dispensers. Uh, they, they, they give grace no matter, uh, what the, the, the person, uh, that is receiving them. Uh, and as long as they're administered by the Roman Catholic church, they give grace, uh, to those who partake of them. So, uh, as, that's the, the Roman Catholic view and the understanding, and, and just a couple of important things to note about those. Um, there are a lot of familiar terms, aren't there? Right. We have grace, faith, Christ, justification, sanctification, eternal life, salvation. Uh, all of these are uh, are terms that we're familiar with, but they are terms that uh, that are have a have a different meaning and a different connotation in their teaching. Uh, and uh, additionally, within their theological system, salvation is a process. Uh, Grace is is the kickstarter, but it does not guarantee final salvation. Uh, And the final salvation of an individual is accomplished by an individual's own efforts. Uh, We are the ones who secure our salvation according to Roman Catholic teaching. Uh, But but the fact that salvation is at some point dependent upon works shows that it's not truly by grace. Uh, Because if if this is kickstarted, Uh, by grace but then i have to earn the rest and maintain it according to the rest and it's really not by grace at all and in the roman catholic system the grace of god only functions to enable you to earn your salvation through works that that's the roman catholic system of hey the grace of god enables you to earn uh, which is contrary to scripture and there's a difference between grace and faith being involved in salvation and salvation coming by grace alone the Roman Catholic theology ultimately confuses justification and sanctification, uh, which, which we'll talk about here. So uh, the, the Roman Catholic view, understanding, what do we call that? Meritorious justification. Okay, and now uh, let's, let's look at the, the biblical view, forensic justification, uh, and if you have your Bibles, we'll be, we'll, uh, we'll be looking at verses here to now see what the Bible says about our salvation. Uh, the biblical view that what the reformers began to proclaim was a forensic justification. So, like, is that like CSI? Uh, what is that for? What's forensics? Uh, well, the, what that means that that word comes from uh, the Latin word for forum, uh, and in in Rome, a forum was where a a court uh, was held, uh, and they would make legal declarations. So, in speaking of forensic justification, it's talking about a legal declaration uh, of Uh, of righteousness. And and how we would define justification would be the one-time act of God whereby he legally declares an individual to be righteous before him. So in contrasting uh, Protestant and uh, Roman Catholic views, in Roman Catholicism, salvation is a process. Uh, In Protestantism or in Evangelicalism, salvation is an event. Uh, It's not, it's not ongoing. It's an event that has results that are ongoing, but it is not an ongoing process. And then uh, in Roman Catholic theology, salvation is a process and God is making people righteous. Uh, But in, in our theology, in according to scripture, God makes or declares us to be righteous before we actually are righteous. uh, Because the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. As soon as we believe in Jesus, there's a, there's a switch there. Uh, he takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Uh, and so th- as soon as that happens, we, we have like a stamp on our forehead. Uh, we, legally righteous. Uh, we're declared righteous by God, not based on anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Uh, and then uh, the process of sanctification is then where we begin to grow and become like Jesus. Uh, so that, that's a key definition in terms of justification. It would be forensic justification. Uh, and what the Bible says is that, that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Uh, and and why, why the Bible clearly teaches that is because the Bible clearly states that we are unable to save ourselves. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans is, is the letter in Paul's writings. It was his magnum opus. It was his, his greatest work, uh, and it is all about salvation. Uh, it is all about uh, man being sinful, God being Savior, uh, and then what that life now looks like as we live for Christ, saved by his grace. But uh, in, in Romans 1, uh, Paul talks all about the, the, the Gentile being condemned before God because we can see God in creation. We look around us and we see uh, the, the stars above the created order here on the earth, uh, and it just screams at us that there exists a God. Uh, that's Romans 1, that everybody is accountable to God. Romans 2 is the Jews who had special revelation, who had the, the, the Bible written to them and given to them, that they are condemned. And then here in Romans 3, he, he begins to wrap everything together and in essence saying everybody Stands condemned before God. Everybody is a sinner. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Paul says, What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Uh, where are my youth students? How many exact numbers were there? Right? Th- those are exact numbers. Four, yeah. Uh, none, no, uh, no one, no one, no one. Uh, those, are, those are all exact numbers, right? Uh, th- that encompasses everybody. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and so what Paul says and wraps up here is hey, any really specific, exact numbers are everywhere. All no one, not even one. He's saying everybody is a sinner. And how many people seek after God? No one. No, no, none of us desire God. None of us even want to pursue God in our fallen state. Which then means if no one wants to seek God, that God must seek man that God must seek us turn over to to Titus uh, chapter 3 verse 5 <clears throat> Paul again writes to Titus he says he speaking of God he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, Paul makes it clear here that, that God saved us, and he didn't do it because of all of the good things that we've done. He, he didn't do it because of, uh, you know, you, you listened to your parents, or you, uh, you took out the trash when you were supposed to, or you, or you helped that person at work, or uh, anything else like that. He didn't save us because of what we've done, but he saved us by his own mercy. You don't have to turn there, but additionally, in Galatians uh, chapter 2, 16, Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's what the Bible teaches, is that all men are sinful. They, they have no desire for God, and they, they cannot save themselves by by good works uh, and so if If man is going to to be saved, if man is going to be in right relationship with God, it has to be upon God uh, from beginning to to end uh, and so uh, man is completely unable to save himself, but God uh, is the one who saves and, and salvation is not a process but a singular event brought about completely by the grace of God. As Lance read earlier, uh, two of the most famous verses uh, in, in the Bible, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, uh, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Uh, and, and notice what, uh, what Paul says here, and this is where it's kind of the making small observations. Roman Catholicism would say that salvation is a process, but Ephesians 2.8 says you have been saved. Meaning what? It's a, it's a past reality. You have been saved, and you have been saved by grace. And, and Paul goes out of his way to say not, not of works, because if we were saved by works, then we would have reason to to boast. We would have reason to say, Look at me, look what I've accomplished, look what I've done. But but the reality of the grace of God humbles us, and it says, We have no reason to boast because salvation clearly comes from the Lord. Uh, additionally, Colossians 2, verse 13, something that we looked at earlier uh, this year as we're studying through Colossians. Colossians 2 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Again, we see the emphasis upon God. God made you alive. You were dead, but God made you alive. Uh, Additionally, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, John writes, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John's saying everybody who receives Christ in faith was, doesn't do so of their own will, doesn't do so of their own uh, uh, power, of their own flesh and blood, but it is from God. Psalm thirty-seven, thirty-nine. 39, to, to go to the Old Testament, uh, that verse says the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold. In the time of trouble, and additionally jonah two nine Jonah says that salvation belongs to the Lord uh, that, uh, the Bible makes it clear that man we can 't save ourselves, but God is the one who who saves uh, and uh, I guess, to to continue the the comparison. So we've seen, hey, what does it look like in terms of what the Roman Catholic view says about salvation? For them, it's a, a process. For us, it's a one-time act. Uh, you place your faith in Jesus, and you are declared righteous. But then uh, the, the, the means of grace, and I would say the means of grace according to Scripture. Uh, there are uh, the, the Reformers... Uh, had some serious disagreements with the Roman Catholic uh, sacraments. There there were seven of them, as as we saw. Uh, And as they searched the Scriptures, the Reformers came to the conclusion, hey, there's really only two sacraments or two ordinances that are commanded in Scripture. Number one is baptism. Now this is the, the kind of the first uh, step of obedience of, of a, a follower of Christ is to to be baptized, to be identified with Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection uh, and then the second one is uh communion, or the lord's Supper uh, as an official ordinance of the church and a memorial celebration with and a, a remembering of christ's life, death. Uh, and resurrection, and we'll get to partake of that later this morning. But uh, and and I believe that those are ways that we can grow in our faith. But th- I guess the means of grace, when it comes to to us as evangelicals, to us as Protestants, uh, it doing these things, doing these works, is is not a way of growing in righteousness. Okay, we have to understand that. Why are we righteous? Because our faith in Jesus. Uh, be, be, as soon as we believe, we're declared righteous. Uh, there's nothing. There's no. There's no way for us to change our standing before God now because of what we do. It's what Jesus has done that that makes us righteous. Uh, and so these means of grace are not for our justification, but they're for our sanctification. This is how we we grow in our faith. This is how we become more and more like Christ, our older brother. Uh, when we're justified, we're, we're adopted. We, we are brought into God's family, and now. Uh, uh, God wants to make us more like Jesus. Uh, and so these means of grace, have, they have no power in and of themselves. Uh, just doing these things, doing these works, they, they don't uh, just give you grace in the same way that the Roman Catholics would say. Because the Roman Catholics would say, just just coming, you will receive grace. But the reality of how do we grow in our Christian lives? Number one, I would say uh, the Word. Okay, reading and obeying God's Word. Uh, and, and being uh, sitting under the preaching of god 's Word as it is proclaimed uh, reading god 's word, secondly praying to God uh, and, and fellowshipping with god 's people, and then evangelism, sharing the gospel with others and th- those would be the the four areas that we can we can grow in our faith. Uh, Again, not in our righteousness, but we grow in our faith. We understand more and more, uh, we become more and more like Christ as we, as we do those things. Uh, and um, for those of you that have been a part of our small groups here, you may have noticed like that, that's what we focus on in small groups. Reading the word, being in prayer, fellowshipping with uh, other believers, and then sharing the gospel uh, with those uh, who are out in the world and need to hear the good news of Christ. And, And that is our that is our emphasis. And that's why we want people to be in small groups. And that's why we have those focuses in our small groups, because that we we understand and know that is how we we grow as Christians in our faith. Uh, and along with baptism and communion, again, those, th- those things don't make us righteous, but they help us to grow. Uh, and baptism and communion, they're, they're visible demonstrations of the gospel, uh, and that it serves as a, a reminder to us of, of who Jesus is and what he has done. So uh, th- those are kind of the, the, the two conflicting views, or the two uh, views on salvation. Uh, Roman Catholic view, it's a process that that is begun by grace, finished by your efforts. Uh, And the Protestant view that salvation is a one-time act, uh, and it comes completely and utterly from God because we're unable and we have no desire to save ourselves in our fallen state. But, But some of you may be saying, well, why is this still important today? Why are we talking about this 500 years after? Uh, after the Reformation. Why is this still important? Well, because uh, this is the same battleground that is still fought over and discussed today, and um, it influences our worship tremendously. I have five, five, uh, five things here of why why sola gratia, or why grace alone is still important today. Number one, uh, grace. the doctrine of grace alone does not cheapen God's grace. Uh, Pastor uh, Nate Pickowitz, who uh, has a great book out uh, entitled Why We're Protestant, he says this in the book. He says, The grace of God cannot be transacted like a commodity. It cannot be handled like an object. It cannot be bought or sold, worked for or earned. Instead, it must be freely given by God himself. If grace is unmerited favor the kindness and goodness of God extended to those who are undeserving, then it must be given directly by him in the ways in which he chooses to dispense it. See, in, if, if I were to say, hey, if you just give me money, I can give you the grace of God. What have I just done? I have, I have cheapened God's grace. I have treated it as if it's a commodity to be bought and sold on a stock exchange. Hey, what's the price of God's grace today? Well, let me see. Uh, let me check the NASDAQ. Let me check the, uh, the Dow Industrial. Uh, let me see what the, what the price is. And, and so th- the doctrine of grace alone does not cheapen God's grace. It does not treat it as if it's something that I can hold on to and dispense freely in my own power. I love what, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans eleven six. He says, But if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would, be, would no longer be grace. Right? Uh, do, do kids work really hard all year to earn birthday presents? <laughs> that would be miserable, right? Uh, or, or do they work really hard all year to earn Christmas presents? No. Um, they, why do they get uh, presents? When they're, when they're a part of the family, they get it because exactly that. They are a part of the family. Uh, and that is the, 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 their parents' grace of, of gifting something to their children. Uh, and if they had to work for their birthday presents, would they really be gifts? Or would it be something that they earned? It would be something that they earned. And so grace would cease to be grace if we have to earn it. You know, that would be number one. If this doctrine is important because it does not cheapen God's grace and, and lower it to something that we can trade and, and make a commodity. And secondly, th- this doctrine is important is because it gives all the glory to God. In, in Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, uh, Isaiah is speaking to to the southern kingdom of Judah, he says, uh, Thus saith the Lord, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. So in this verse, God is saying, I- I'm withholding from you. I- I'm not going to give you what you deserve. They deserve judgment. God says, I'm going to withhold that from you. Verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And why has he done this? Verse 11, he says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? He says, My glory I will not give to another. See, if, if God is the one who saves completely, how wrong would it be for me to try and claim some of what he's done? Right? Well, I would be robbing glory from God to say, I've earned part of my salvation. When when scripture clearly says it's a gift of God, it's something that I have given to you freely, me then saying, oh, I've earned that, steals the glory from God. Thirdly, this doctrine is important because it gives us assurance of our salvation. Uh, I love this quote from from John MacArthur. He says, if I could lose my salvation, I would. Uh, Of just this reality, if if it was in my hands uh, to secure my salvation, I would lose it. Uh, I would mess it up probably on day one. Uh, it, it would be completely lost. And and just this reality, if, if it was in my power, I, I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm a fallen sinner. I, I can't hold fast to my salvation. Uh, I, I am still battling against the world, the flesh, and the devil, just like all of you are. And the reality is you can't secure your salvation. No one can. So if it was left in our hands, we would lose it. Uh, and If if salvation was a process that would be based upon our own efforts, uh, again, and I keep saying this because it's so important, if it's based upon my efforts, I never know if I'm saved. Because the, the question always hangs out there, have I done enough? Have I done enough to earn God's favor? And ultimately, any salvation that is based upon human effort is a salvation that is not secure and a salvation that we cannot achieve. But a salvation that is completely from God is totally secure. And if salvation is the gift of God, then man is completely secure in that salvation. There, there's nothing I can do to mess it up because I wasn't involved in, in bringing it about. Uh, God is the one who brings it about from start to finish, and he will finish it. There, there's none who will uh, be kick-started and won't make it to the finish line. Uh, fourth, this doctrine is important because, because it humbles us because we have contributed nothing to our salvation. And again, as I said, when we, when we looked at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, if I have something to contribute, then I have a reason to boast. But if, but if I have nothing to contribute to my salvation, and it's it something that is given to me by God, then, then it is something that I can be thankful for. It's something that I have no reason to boast about, but I, uh, it, it, it humbles me. And as, as Christians, we should be the humblest of all people right? Because uh, we haven't earned anything that we've received. It's It's been given uh, to us freely, right? Have you ever had that uh, opinion of somebody or uh, rich kids who are viewed as uh, everything's been handed to them with a silver spoon? Uh, they haven't earned anything. They don't, they don't realize anything, but they, they act as if they, they're, they're of this privilege. And yeah, I have all of this, but the reality is uh, it's all been given to them. And we should be the humblest of all people because we everything that we have, we have not earned. We have not deserved. Uh, but God has given it to us freely in Christ. And then, fifthly, this doctrine is important because it transforms the motive behind our worship and our obedience to God. Okay, if, if we're saved by grace, not by our own efforts... Um, now the the good things that i do it it, ch- it changes that so instead of trying to work to earn my salvation what am i doing i am i'm responding to what god has already done i'm i 'm responding in worship in thanks uh, now you you get to come Sunday morning and instead of trying to uh, instead of coming and hey I put your attendance in in the jar and, and that you 're trying to earn your way to heaven uh, you get to come and you just get to worship you just get to sing you just get to come and hear about the God who has saved you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ uh, and now, th- this reality that we 're not saved by our efforts it it frees us up to actually worship God rather than living in fear of have we done enough and uh, but but this is not to say that because salvation is from God uh, there could be a tendency to say well if if my salvation is secure and it's not based upon anything that I do, then it doesn't matter what I do. I can go out and have a great time, I can go sin uh, and enjoy that and i'm I'm still in great standing with the lord and uh, and the apostle Paul says this in Romans six to that he says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound?" Of hey, if I'm if if I keep sinning, grace gets to gets to be put on display more and more all the time. But he says, "By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it?" Uh, see, see, while while human works are uh, uh, not in any way the cause of our salvation, they should be the the result of our salvation. That if, if, if we have a transformed heart, if we've uh, been uh, made alive by the grace of God, there, there will be results. And one of those results is good works. Uh, and so uh, they are not the root, they're not the cause of salvation, but they're the fruit. They are the result uh, of salvation. And those who are saved will bear fruit. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So Jesus expects everybody who's connected to him, if, if he is the vine and we're the branches, he expects everybody who's connected to him to do what? To bear fruit. But if you're not connected to Jesus, what will you bear? Nothing. Uh, but if you're connected to him, there will be fruit. That's what he's saying there in John 15. Uh, and and this this doctrine of of grace alone. This, this reality that we, we contribute nothing to our salvation, but it's, it's God's gift to us, to those who believe. This is a, this is a watershed uh, in our lives. This is a watershed in theology. Anybody know what a watershed is? Uh, it, it's a high ridge of land that, that determines uh, which direction water is going to flow. You can think of it on your, uh, on, like on your roof. Right. Uh, if if uh, if you have a roof that that's uh, has a, a point to the, at the top and the ridge, uh, water that falls on, on on this side, even if it falls just on the just on the side of the peak of that, which which direction is it going to flow? That same side. There's no way for it to flow to the other side. Right. It's not going to climb upwards and over the ridge and onto the other side. Uh, th- that's a watershed, and and you can think of it this way. Uh, there's always a watershed point in in the North America. The continental divide on, along the Rocky Mountains, just, just north and just east of us, uh, is the, the watershed point uh, along our entire continent. You ever think about that? Uh, and if a drop of water uh, falls on the west side of the Rockies, where is it going to end up? In the Pacific Ocean. No matter uh, if it falls uh, here where we are or along uh, in, uh, in Washington or Oregon, if it falls on this side of of the Rockies, where is it ultimately going? It's going to the Pacific. Now, if it falls on the eastern side of the Rockies, where will it end up? In the Atlantic, in in the Gulf of Mexico, somewhere over there. So, that, think of that, that. This is the that's the dividing line, uh, and wherever you fall, uh, even if you're really close to the mountains, where will you end up? You'll end up in one of those two oceans, uh, and, and and that that is a is a fact and this this reality this doctrine of grace alone is a watershed of theology that wherever you land you will ultimately throw uh ultimately flow to one of two i guess theological oceans now one of these oceans is is filled with man's efforts it's highly unstable waters because it's constantly in motion and as men attempt to earn their salvation through their own efforts uh, they're just churning up the water Uh, they're trying to tread water in that ocean uh, while at the same time weighed down by their own sin, trying to earn their way to heaven. That, that's, that's one of the, the oceans that you may flow to. And the other ocean is filled with the grace of God to be found in Jesus Christ, his son. And even though everybody who comes to this ocean still has that same weight of sin, uh, that same sinful nature, when you, when you flow to that ocean, you are able to tread water because Christ has taken your sin and placed it upon himself on the cross. And your sin is, is paid for, and the grace of God is a gift to you that saves you. And just the reality of what, what side of the continental divide will, will you land on? Which of those oceans will you flow to? Open, open up to, to Galatians 1. The, the Apostle Paul, uh, in writing to the Galatians, he, he, had, he had gone through uh, Asia Minor and, and established churches on his first missionary journey. And as he, after he had departed from them, after establishing the churches, they had quickly wandered into a gospel of works salvation. They began to say, oh, I need to now keep the law. I need to now call for people to be to be circumcised and keep everything in the Old Testament in order to be saved. And, and Paul says this in Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 through 10. He says to the Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And what was the gospel that Paul proclaimed? Well, look over in Galatians 2.16. We read it earlier, but let's read it again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. The Galatians said, well, maybe I, maybe I start by faith, but maybe I finish by my own efforts. And Paul says this to them. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That was, that was the gospel of Paul. But, but listen to, I'm going to read a couple of things from the Council of Trent. And, and the Council of Trent was the Roman Catholic Church's response to to the Reformation. And they said this If anyone saith uh, that by faith alone the impious is justified, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of grace, just, gr- the attaining the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will let him be anathema. So the church said, if, if anybody says that all you need is faith, let him be anathema. And that's the same word that Paul used in Galatians. Let him be accursed. The council still said this, if anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone is that whereby we are justified, let him be Anathema. They're saying, if if you believe that all you need is faith in order to be justified, the Roman Church is saying, let you be, let him be anathema. If anyone saith that a man who is born again and justified is bound by faith to believe that he is assuredly in the number of the predestinate, let him be anathema. So that's saying, if if you are convinced that you are a child of God because you have believed and been justified. Let you be cursed. They, they want to cast doubt upon everyone's salvation. They're saying no one can know for sure if they are truly saved. And then this last one, it says, If anyone says that a man who is justified, and how perfect soever, is not bound to observe the commandments of God and that by the, that of the church, but only to believe, as if indeed the gospel were a bare and absolute promise of eternal life, Without the condition of observing the commandments, let him be anathema. That's what the church says of it. It, it. it curses everybody who would say, "No, you can't earn your way to heaven. It's only by the grace of God that is found in the person of Jesus Christ, his Son. See, the Apostle Paul and the Roman Catholic Church have landed on different sides of that watershed. Uh, and ultimately they flow into two different theological oceans. And, and as such, we, we want to remain with the Apostle Paul uh, and, and not think that we can edge over onto the other side of the continental divide and still flow to the ocean of grace. Uh, and what, what we now have the opportunity to do to celebrate as a church is to remember the grace of God, uh, is to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, uh, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this reality that we get to, we get to remember in communion, in, in the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's table. Uh, and um, if the men would come forward and just uh, be, be ready to, to hand out these elements of, as we, as we partake of the cup, as we partake of uh, the bread, taking of this uh, in no way makes you more holy. It in no way makes you more righteous before God, but what it is it is a memorial it 's for for those who believe for those who have believed in jesus christ we we partake of these elements if uh, if you're if you're not a believer, I w- we would ask you to to, to refrain from this because this, is, this, this it doesn't save you, but it has a spiritual significance to it uh, as uh, in in First Corinthians the apostle Paul writes this regarding this uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper. It says, For I have received from the Lord that I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after... After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, And so as we as we partake of these elements, we are we are celebrating and remembering three things. Number one, we are remembering Christ's death on our behalf. Number two, we are celebrating the present fellowship that we have with Jesus because of God's grace. That we, we are celebrating the fact that we are now co-heirs with Christ. We have been brought in. We have been adopted into the family of God, not because of our own efforts, but because uh, God wanted to bring us into the family. Uh, that, that's the, the second thing that we're celebrating. And, and the third would be that, that Jesus is going to return. Uh, th- that's that's what we are looking forward to uh, because it, as it said in that last verse uh, it says you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes uh, that we are we are saying uh, Jesus died for our sins, we have present fellowship with him and now uh, we are looking forward to longing to uh, to see him return to the earth uh, and uh, as as we partake of these of these elements, we want to, we want to remember those three uh, and to, uh, to understanding and praise God for his grace that he has extended to us uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's partake of the, the, the bread together, which represents the body that was broken on our behalf. And the cup that represents the blood of Christ shed for our forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come to you this morning with a desire to worship you. To praise you for who you are and what you have done, God, we we acknowledge that we have nothing to bring to you. We have no efforts, no good works that we can bring to to make ourselves righteous in your sight. Or there's nothing that we can do to try and earn your favor. But Lord, even even while we were sinners, Lord, you have sought us. You have saved us. You sent your Son to die on the cross for us that we might be forgiven. Lord, we acknowledge that it is only by your grace, not by our efforts, that we are saved. And Lord, we long to, to worship you in response to that. We long to to sing your praise, to draw near to you in the study of your word, in praying to you. We long to fellowship with your people as those who have also been brought into your family. And Lord, we long to share with others this message of the gospel that salvation cannot be earned, but it is freely given to all who would believe. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding of this this doctrine of grace alone. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you for the grace that you have extended to us, and we thank you for the assurance of our salvation that we have because you are the one who has saved us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.